Hi, this is Whitney Lane and Hani Naga, Duke Plastic Surgery residents on The Resident Review, a Duke Plastic Surgery podcast. Today, we are continuing our quick hit series designed to review high yield topics for our yearly in-service exam. Today, we are going to be discussing high yield topics related to breast reconstruction. To start, there are two major forms of breast reconstruction, um, alloplastic or implant-based breast reconstruction and autologous-based breast reconstruction. Uh, just as a quick side, uh, in terms of timing, as it relates to mastectomy, both can be performed in either an immediate fashion or at the time of mastectomy or in a delayed fashion or after mastectomy and after therapy for breast cancer is complete. So we can start with a discussion of implant-based breast reconstruction. First, this can be performed in one or two stages. One stage or direct implant reconstruction has been shown to be safe and effective in a, in a select patient population, including women with small and moderate-sized breasts, minimal to no ptosis or skin access, desire to have a post-op volume similar or smaller to the current breast volume, and a good skin envelope following mastectomy. Two-stage reconstruction includes placement of a tissue expander at the time of mastectomy with exchange to a final implant at a later surgery. Of note, although not commonly used, carbon dioxide expanders are on the market and are tested on. Um, these expanders are unable to be deflated, which can complicate radiation if needed. Outcomes, however, show no difference in complications and a faster expansion process overall. Next, implants can be placed in one of two anatomic positions, either in the prepectoral position or above the muscle or in the subpectoral position or below the muscle. Prepectoral placement of implants has some advantages, which includes lack of animation deformity and decreased pain with implant placement. The disadvantages, however, include increased rates of rippling reported among patients and higher reported rates of capsular contracture, although uh, studies show that ADM or the use of a cellular dermal matrix decreases this risk. Speaking of ADM, uh, typically implants placed in the prepectoral plane are in fact covered with an ADM uh, prior to placement. This decreases the risk of capsular contracture, as we just said, but does increase the risk of postoperative seroma formation. In contrast, um, subpectoral placement of uh, implants <clears throat> has the advantage of providing greater padding to reduce rippling, especially in thin patients, but has the disadvantage of both animation deformity and increased pain. So at this point, we need to address radiation in the setting of implant-based reconstruction. Um, radiation significantly increases complications with alloplastic reconstruction, including increased risk of mastectomy flap necrosis, capsular contracture, and infection. And in the same breath, we need to consider which device we choose to radiate in, in uh, implant-based reconstruction. So um, radiation to the tissue expander has increased rates of reconstructive failure as compared with radiation to an implant. However, it has a better aesthetic result due to less capsular contracture. Additionally, placement of a tissue expander allows for deflation of the tissue expander if needed to facilitate radiation. Overall, tissue expander-based reconstruction remains a good choice in patients whose radiation status is undetermined, um, as it preserves a patient's skin envelope and keeps open options for definitive final reconstruction. Now, what about the use of perioperative antibiotics in these patients? Uh, the infection rate is reported to be around 8% for breast reconstruction, and the most common organisms are staph for gram-positives and pseudomonas for gram-negatives. Uh, timing of perioperative antibiotics is currently under review and is a topic of some debate. 
The American Society of Plastic Surgeons currently recommends that antibiotics be discontinued about 24 hours after surgery unless strains are present, in which case prophylaxis duration is left up to surgeon preference. However, in a recent paper by Phillips et al. published, um, this group published a non-inferiority randomized control trial among patients undergoing immediate implant-based reconstruction with the use of acellular dermal matrix. They compared the recommended 24 hours of antibiotics to antibiotics continued until drain removal and found no differences between these groups, suggesting that 24 hours of antibiotics following surgery was in fact sufficient. So with that, that concludes our um, conversation about um, implant-based reconstruction, and we can now move on to autologous-based breast reconstruction. So um, the commonly used flaps for autologous reconstruction, I think the most dominant flap that we all think about is the deep inferior epigastric artery perforator flap. So alternatively called the deep. Um, the deep is a variation of the tram and muscle sparing tram. The difference is that the deep, the perforators are dissected out from the rectus muscle, leaving behind the entire muscle and muscle fascia. Um, as is kind of um, in the name of the deep, um, the, the deep is an artery that comes off of the external iliac. It's the deep inferior epigastric artery. Um, and specifically to the deep flap, it's got different perfusion zones. Um, so typically we think of two kind of rows of perforators for the deep. Um, the, medial perfor the medial row perforators are zones um, one and two, and the lateral zones are um, three and four. So the medial row perforator flaps are perfused in the order one, two, three, and four, which is a little bit intuitive. And then the lateral row perforator flaps are perfused in this order, one, three, two, then four. Relative contraindications to a deep flap include prior abdominal surgery, prior liposuction, and a large penis. Um, something to note, prior C-section is not a relative contraindication to deep flaps. Um, in fact, the fan and steel incision typically divides super the superficial epigastric circulation and gives this flap a more robust venous circulation um, due, to the due to the delay phenomenon. So for a typical preoperative workup, um, uh, many plastic surgeons do a CTA, um, and that's used to delineate the perforator anatomy prior to surgery to reduce operative time. And with respect to intraoperative monitoring, um, some people choose to use fluorescent angiography, which relies on indocyanin and green. Um, this gives you um, a technique to see which parts of your flap are maybe not being perfused as much as you'd like. So for post-operative monitoring tools, uh, we use something called bioptics, which um, um, assesses tissue perfusion, or cook dopplers, which are implantable dopplers. Um, and of course, everyone does, does clinical exam. Patient reported outcomes in deep flaps. So different studies have, have supported improved patient satisfaction with autologous reconstruction in the setting of unilateral reconstruction. Um, it also provides better symmetry when compared to implant-based reconstructions. And finally, we can talk about variations to the deep flap. Some people choose to, to co-apt intercostal nerves from the breast to the segmental intercostal nerve through the flap, typically T10. As a side note, the SIEA or superficial inferior epigastric artery perforator flap has been described for breast reconstruction. However, these flaps do have a higher failure rate than deep flaps. Um, they do, however, have less metal bulges um, and similar fat necrosis rates. The blood supply for the SIEA is uh, significantly less robust than the deep flap system. And um, therefore, surgical delay may be performed by uh, ligating the deep system in order to facilitate overall viability of an SIEA flap. 
Other common uh, perforator flaps that are used for breast reconstruction are the PAP flaps or profunda artery perforator flaps. The PAP flap is based off of the perforators from the profunda artery that typically travel through the adductor magnus muscle. Uh, the flap can be oriented either vertically or medially uh, on the inner thigh um, or horizontally uh, along the posterior medial thigh. The amount of skin that can be safely taken is generally based on the pinch test preoperatively, but is reported most commonly to be around seven centimeters. There are several alternative flaps for breast reconstruction as well that are used less commonly. Those include thigh flaps, such as the tug flap or transverse upper gracilis flap. This is an ellipse of the anterior medial thigh with the superior border within the gluteal fold, based on the perforators from the descending branch of the medial circumflex artery. Um, additionally, gluteal flaps have been described, such as the inferior gluteal artery perforator flap and superficial gluteal artery perforator flap, or the I gap and S gap. The designs of these flaps include um, either an ellipsis skin on the inferior buttocks or an ellipsis skin from the medial buttocks and have been used for breast reconstruction. However, uh, they do have significant donor site deformities um, that patients often do not like. So at this point, we can talk about the complications of free flap breast reconstruction. And the one that we often think about and the reason for much of our monitoring is flap loss. Uh, so we can split this into two etiologies. We can split it into arterial or venous. In regards to arterial flap loss, the most common cause is an arterial thrombus. And these patients present with a cool, pale flap with a rapid decrease in vioptic signaling if you use vioptics. The treatment for this complication is urgent operative exploration for salvage. Um, in regards to venous congestion as a cause for flap loss, um, the most common cause is venous thrombosis, inadequate perforator selection, or notably superficial venous dominance. These flaps present as blue in color with brisk cap refill, cooler skin temperature, and rapid bleeding of dark blood on pinprick. The treatment for venous congestion is emergent exploration as well. Um, salvage rates are higher if explored within six hours. And in the operating room, if the venous anastomosis is open, you have to consider a second anastomosis with the SIEV, which is a superficial system. Another complication that we think of with free flap breast reconstruction that's not related to the flap is venous thromboembolism. So following long surgeries, such as free flap reconstruction, patients are at higher risk for lower extremity DVTs um, due to venous stasis in the lower extremities following surgery. And based on the Caprini risk assessment model, um, the ASPS VTE task force recommends that those undergoing elective plastic surgery who have a score of seven or greater um, uh, to have VTE risk reduction strategies, which include limiting OR time, weight reduction, discontinuation of hormone therapy, early postoperative mobilization, and to consider use extended use of Lovenox. The highest risk factors for VTE include an age of over 75, um, a history of VTE, uh, positive factor V Leiden, um, heparin-induced thrombocytopenia, elevated anticardiolipin or serum homocysteine, um, or prothrombin or lupus anticoagulant, congenital or acquired thrombophilia, and a family history of thrombosis. Another complication that we often think about with uh, flaps is delayed wound healing. And this is most associated with patients who have a BMI of over 35. And finally, specifically for deep flaps, um, abdominal complications include a hernia, bulge, or abdominal weakness. Now that we've gone through the uh, major 
types of breast reconstruction, which include, um, as we said, implant and autologous based breast reconstruction. We're going to talk a little bit about uh, common revision surgeries that are performed in breast reconstruction patients. Number one, for patients undergoing unilateral breast reconstruction, contralateral symmetry procedures are often uh, frequently performed. Uh, they are used to achieve symmetry after unilateral mastectomy and reconstruction and can include mastopexy reduction or augmentation mastopexy. Of note, these can be performed safely at the same time as unilateral autologous tissue reconstruction. Uh, second is fat grafting, uh, which can be used in conjunction with both implant-based reconstruction and autologous-based reconstruction to improve contour deformities. Of note, fat grafting has not been associated with a higher risk of breast cancer, but can increase the incidence of benign lesions such as cysts and calcifications. Uh, finally, some patients opt to undergo nipple reconstruction following breast reconstruction, especially in patients who undergo unilateral mastectomy. Uh, blood supply for any nipple reconstruction is based off of the subdermal plexus as it, and is considered a random pattern blood supply. Techniques for nipple reconstruction include the skate flap, star flap, and CV flap. The most common complication following nipple reconstruction is loss of projection over time. However, patients who seek nipple reconstruction often report increased rates of satisfaction and quality of life following surgery. Next, we can talk about a, um, a complication that has been extensively studied in the literature recently, which is breast implant-associated anaplastic large cell lymphoma. So this has been associated with specifically textured implants. Um, on presentation, the majority case of cases of breast implant-associated anaplastic large cell lymphoma uh, they present with late onset seroma, and that's 66 to 80 percent of cases. Whereas the second most common presentation is an isolated mass within the capsule around the implant. Now, again, I mentioned that this is typically associated with textured implants. In regards to evaluation, the workup involves ultrasound followed by fine needle aspiration. And then in regards to um, the tumor itself, it is often CD30 positive and ALK negative. Treatment of BIA ALCL is it can vary with the stage of presentation. But when it's confined to the periprosthetic fluid, it can effectively be treated with capsulectomy and implant removal. Finally, we're going to move on to some miscellaneous topics related to breast reconstruction that are often tested on on our uh, yearly in-service exam. Uh, number one is that the biggest factor uh, associated with receipt of breast reconstruction from prior studies is distance from the reconstructive surgeon and insurance status of the patient. Further, um, there are many questions that are asked about the Women's Health and Cancer Rights Act, which was passed in 1998. This requires insurance plans to cover the cost of breast reconstruction after mastectomy and includes all stages of reconstruction as well as contralateral procedures to provide symmetry. Um, it, however, does not apply to women undergoing breast conservation surgery, such as lumpectomy and radiation. At this point, this concludes our Quick Hits episode on breast reconstruction. We're really glad to have you join us today um, and hope you learned something. Um, and hope to have you join us for upcoming episodes reviewing other high-yield topics within plastic surgery. As a plastic surgeon with a unique vision for each patient, the more options you have at your fingertips, the better. Natrell is one of the portfolios available to you. To learn more, visit natrellsurgeon.com.